Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, presented by Living Stream Ministry. These life studies explore every book in the Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. These messages unveil how the scriptures can be living and more than mere doctrine to man. Today, we bring you recorded excerpts of Witness Lee's original speaking, along with some of our own comments and thoughts. If you have questions, please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. During one of the dark hours in Israel's history, Jehovah poured his heart out to Jeremiah, the prophet that he had raised up to speak to Israel on his behalf. Listen to his word and see if you can sense in his speaking the anguish of a distraught husband over the unfaithfulness of a wife to whom he had been faithful to the uttermost. Jeremiah chapter 3. Then Jehovah said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what Israel, the apostate, has done? She went up on every high mountain and under every flourishing tree and committed fornication there. And I said, After she has done all these things, She will return to me, but she did not return. And I saw that because of all the adultery that Israel the apostate committed, I divorced her and gave her a certificate of divorce. And because she treated her fornication lightly, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Ron Kangas has joined us for fellowship from a very dark portion in the book of Jeremiah, Ron, but there is an intrinsic element here that I think we'll find an application from. Is that uh, your understanding as well? I would put it just about in the same words. It's grim. It's dark. But there still is some intrinsic factors related to the person of God, his love for his wife, and his eventual triumph Mm -hmm. over his enemy. I would just add, and that very briefly, that this is a picture not only of apostate Israel, but of the widespread apostasy in the church today. Mm. So we are not studying this as a mere history lesson or a mere attempt to understand the Bible in its historical context. We need to know the situation of God's people as it is exposed here, and to know the Lord as he is revealed here. Ron, let's give a little background to this word apostate or apostasy. I think people have a somewhat a vague idea of what it means, but in more specific terms, and particularly as we see it applied here, and as you said, as it affects the church, it's not just talking about it some sort of doctrinal deviation, is it? It's nothing that can be considered minor. It's not a deviation on a minor point of doctrine. Neither is it a common failure or shortcoming, although we do not minimize failures and shortcomings. Rather, apostasy is a basic and fundamental departure from the Lord and the way of the Lord and the turning to another way and the taking of another way. In the case of Israel, in this situation, their apostasy was really a turning from God himself. 
and to turning to something instead of God, Mm -hmm. in place of God. That brings us back to the two evils from chapter 2. Right. Forsaking the fountain of living waters, the Lord, and hewing out broken cisterns, their idols. This was their apostasy. The degree, the severity of the apostasy must be acknowledged. But Jeremiah is not only or even mainly about apostasy. Rather, it is about the Lord himself, his faithfulness to himself, and his achievement in gaining at least a recovered remnant of his people Mm. for the carrying out of his purpose. Forsaking the fountain, this is the turning away from Jehovah himself, the hewing out of the cisterns is taking another way. And as you said, and we'll see again here in this coming portion, this is really their clinging to idols, other things. And as he has described it, the Lord in his own word in chapter 3 committing fornication with every manner of stones and trees. This is an abominable thing in God's eyes, isn't it? Abominable is the appropriate word. Only God knows the depth of his grief and indignation over such a departure by his people from himself. Well, even in this condition, the Lord continues in his uh, speaking with Jeremiah beckoning, pleading with Israel to return. Go and proclaim these words to the north, he says in verse 12, and say, return, O Israel the apostate, declares Jehovah, and I will not let my countenance fall toward you, for I am merciful, declares Jehovah. I will not keep my anger forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against Jehovah your God and have turned your ways here and there to strangers under every flourishing tree and have not listened to my voice, declares Jehovah. Return, O apostate children, declares Jehovah, for I am a husband to you. And in verse 19, And I said, You will call me my father, and will not turn away from me. So here we have an interesting point that Witness Lee will develop in this coming portion. When Israel does return, she comes to him not as her husband, but as her father. We'll see what that signifies in this portion just ahead. Chapter 3, verse 5 to chapter 4, verse 31. Israel's return, our Jehovah's correction for her apostasy. You all know apostasy is to leave the right way and to go the other way, to leave God and to go with idols, and this is the apostasy. In this sense, all the idols are the evil lovers. A woman should only have one husband. But this woman, Israel, got a lot of lovers. Beside the husband, man, he got a lot of lovers. All the lovers are her idols. You have to see, in this chapter, God considered himself as the husband. But Israel considered themselves as God's children, calling God their father. Here's the trouble. How could a wife call the husband my father? (laughs) But (laughs) the Bible does reveal to us that our God is firstly our husband. This is according to Genesis 2. Then the Bible also reveals that 
we sinners were regenerated by God. And firstly, we were created by God as his creatures. But after we got fall, we became sinful. And then God what? God regenerated us to make us his sons. Then he becomes our father. Here is a female. But she didn't keep her position. And she was not faithful. Behind her husband, she still went to many lovers. And all the lovers are her husband's enemies. And her husband advised her, even begged her not to do that, but come back to him. She didn't. But the husband still would not give up her. And he did a lot to bring her back. And she got back. I tell you, she had no more face to see that man as a husband. And she had no more face to be that man's wife. So what? So she considered that husband as a father. For a child to repent to a father, that's easy. For a wife to repent about chastity is hard. This is why after coming back, she called her husband father. This indicates she was still stubborn. She would rather repent to the father. And she would never repent to the husband. As my father, I repent to you. I'm wrong. But as your wife, I never would say any repentance to you. Well, have you got it? Ron, I have to confess I had to listen to this uh, a couple of times to get it. But it seems after spending a bit more time with it, considering it, I realized at least experientially, I understand this, I believe. There is a, we have a multiple-leveled relationship with God. On the one hand, he's our creator. On another hand, he's our husband. On another hand, certainly in, in regeneration, he's our father. And there is a kind of a painfulness in coming to him as a husband, if we have been unfaithful. And I think you could correct me whether this is a really a doctrinal point, but it seemed like experientially I could kind of identify with that, and perhaps our listeners are in the same boat I am. The experiential approach is very appropriate here as long as we stay within the confines you know, of the Word. To kind of reiterate what you said just now and what Brother Lee pointed out in the message, we need to acknowledge that we do have a multifaceted or many-layered relationship with God. God is the creator. We are his creatures. So we have a creator-creature relationship, Mm -hmm. even now. However, through the gospel, we have believed into Christ and have been born of God receiving the life and nature of God, and have thereby become the children of God. Hence, God is now our Father. He's the Creator, and we're the creature. He's the Father, and we're the children. We have to admit that in the totality of the divine revelation, the most profound and the most intimate and personal relationship between God and His people is not 
the creator-creature relationship. Right. Neither is it the father-child relationship, although that is dear. It is the husband-wife relationship. Mm. Even in human life, this is the closest, most intimate human relationship. It's the fundamental human relationship according to God's creation of humankind. The Lord is speaking as the husband, and he is addressing his people as his unfaithful wife. And although she has practiced apostasy, he longs for her to turn back, and he knows that eventually she will turn back. Mm -hmm. But in her turning back, which does take place, she is not altogether absolute, even in her repentance. She calls God Father. This is more intimate than calling him merely the Creator, but it's not as intimate as speaking of him as husband. Right. So she repents to God in his divine status as Father. And I have no reason to question the genuineness of that degree of repentance. But the fact that she calls God Father and not Husband indicates in her there is still, to say the least, resistance. It's more accurate to use Brother Lee's term, stubbornness. There is still something within her which will not forthrightly acknowledge her unchastity to her husband. This reveals at least two things that are quite touching. One, it exposes the degree of our depravity and of the incompleteness even of our repentance. On the other hand, it shows the mercy, kindness, grace, love, and compassion of God to receive us back to himself even though our repentance is not that complete and that absolute. I was the same as you. I had to consider this. I had to read it twice, and I benefited from hearing it again. But I'm impressed now, mm -hmm. and I'm in accord now with this life and experience-related understanding. Right. We need to return to God as our Creator. We need to turn to God as our Father, and we need to learn from Israel to return to the Lord as our husband and acknowledge we have been an unfaithful wife. If we receive the grace for this kind of repentance, our recovery truly will be absolute, and our intimate marital relationship with God will be restored, not only for our sake, but mainly for his. Ron, let's go on. There's another point that we want to come to in this chapter. A bit farther along, Jeremiah continues, And when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, declares Jehovah, they will no longer say, The Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah, and it will not come to mind, nor will they remember it or visit it, and it will not be made again. At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of Jehovah, and all the nations will be gathered to it because the name of Jehovah is at Jerusalem. 
and they will no longer walk after the stubbornness of their evil heart. Of course, the ark, uh, an Old Testament type of Christ, and during the period of time when they were engaged in battle, when the ark went forth, they were victorious. And now there's a reference to it in this chapter. We'll come back to that after we hear Witness Lee develop this very interesting point for us in this final portion. The ark of the covenant will no longer be cared for by her as his meeting place with her. This is quite interesting. But I don't think many understand it. Do you remember the story in um, Samuel's time? The uh, children of Israel, uh, when they went out to fight, they talked about the ark. So they brought the ark out to fight for them. Of course, the ark was a type of Christ. That was true. But since they don't have the heart for God, yet they talk about the ark. So the ark becomes an idol. The ark becomes a kind of superstition. Even though the ark didn't help them. And the ark was captured. <laughs> Not only they were captured, even the ark was captured. To their thought that God was captured. The ark was defeated. Means that God was defeated. But actually it is not. God's still there, overseated. They don't have the heart for God, Christ, but they talk a lot about the ark. Like today, they don't have any heart, but they talk a lot about the Bible. So even to the Bible becomes a superstition. People just worship the Bible, talk about the Bible, yet they don't carry a beat for the very God revealed in the Bible. We need the Bible very much, but one day when we will see him face to face, do you still hold the Bible? Can you see this? You may try to the Bible, but not God. You may try to the Bible, but not Christ. If I throw your Bible away, oh, don't do that, that is where my heart is. Is your heart on Christ? Well, today, many are surely made the Bible different from God. Actually, the Bible should be one with God. But this is the time of degradation. But when the time of revival comes, Christ is here. The embodiment of God is here. Where is that? No one would talk about. Here he says, no one would talk about. And eventually it says, no one will make an ark any longer because Christ will be present with her and reign in Jerusalem. Israel will call Jerusalem the throne of Jehovah. This read something, indicating that Christ will be the king there to reign over her. And all the nations will be gathered to Jerusalem because the name of Jehovah is at Jerusalem. This is the time of revival. No doubt this refers to the thousand years, the millennium kingdom. Well, Ron, surely there was a time in Israel's history where the presence of the ark meant the presence of God. But as the age culminates here in this prophetical word, there'll be a time when the ark will have no more a center place. It has really been replaced by Christ himself. Now, let's talk about his comparison of how some people take the Bible today. I was reminded of this verse in John when I was just listening now. John 5, 
39, when he tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that testify concerning me, yet you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Seems to be saying much the same thing, wasn't it? I also thought on that same passage from John that the Lord was there, the scriptures testified concerning him, but the religionists perused, examined, poured over the scriptures, thinking that in the scriptures themselves in letter they would have life. But the scriptures testified concerning Christ, but they would not come to him that they might have life. We need to be clear and unambiguous when we make this application. We in no way are minimizing the necessity of the written word of God. It is the complete divine revelation breathed out by God, inspired by God, word by word. All teachings must be based on the word. All practices must be according to the word. All supposed leadings from God must be proved by the word. We cannot dispense during this age with the Bible. Hmm. Having said that, we would go on to acknowledge, frankly and strongly, that religious people do have the tendency to separate the Bible from the Lord and to allow the Bible to replace the Lord in a practical way. They may not have the Lord's presence. They may not be walking in the Spirit. They may not be enjoying the Lord. But they are so devoted to the Bible in letter. Mm. This is the point we are making. In the Old Testament, the ark was a type of Christ. The going forth of the ark symbolized God's presence with his people. But eventually, the people had a superstitious view of the ark. Same principle, I believe, with the bronze serpent put on a pole. Moses did that in Numbers at the word of God so that the people could be saved. Whoever looked at that bronze serpent on the pole would live. Right. But later in the Kings, it was called Nehushtan. It became an idolatrous object of worship. There is a tendency for us to take any physical thing or outward thing used by God and blessed by God There's a tendency for us to take it as God, or at least as a replacement for God. And we need to realize that although we must have the Bible now and relate to it in the way I just tried to describe in summary fashion, yet when we see the Lord, we're not going to be distracted by reading about him in the Word. Eventually, we will not have the Bible. We will not need the Bible. We will have the Lord revealed in the Bible. Even now, when we have the Bible and need the Bible, we must not separate the written Word of God from the living Word of God. We take both together. This is the normal, healthy, God-ordained way to apply the Scriptures in our relationship to God and contact God based upon the truth in his word. 
very critical clarifying and balancing word there. I think we would never, ever minimize the importance and the utter necessity of the written word of God. It not only reveals God, but in a very real sense conveys us to God. It brings us to God. It's the separation of the reality from just the letter that we're really focusing on, isn't it, here? That is exactly the point. Well, I appreciate that the uh, order we were able to take these two things in today enabled us to finish on this point. I think it was the right concluding word. Our toll-free number, if you'd like to contact us about getting the printed life study messages for both Jeremiah and Lamentations, both together in one volume, is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Or you can write to us at Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. For Ron Kingus, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Living Stream Ministry is dedicated to the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China during the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Watchman Nee sent Witness Lee to carry out this ministry in Taiwan. Later, the Lord led him to the United States and eventually to the rest of the world before he went to be with the Lord in 1997. Living Stream Ministry now has hundreds of titles by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee available in English, plus many in more than 50 other languages. To find out more about Living Stream and all that we offer, visit our website, lsm.org. You can also reach us toll-free at 1-888-543-3788 or email us, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening.